Tonight we are going to be in Psalm 75. In Psalm 75, our passage can be found on page 487 in the Pew Bible. I'll bring the text up on the screen. We'll read the entire psalm. It's only ten verses. Hear the word of the Lord. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east, uh, or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, And he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So you've probably heard the phrase, or the saying, justice is. Delayed is justice denied. It's a pithy way to drive home the idea that the principle that justice, especially human justice, ought to be done fairly but also quickly. That we do not want to delay injustice if we can help it. However, there are times when justice must be delayed, yet it is still not denied. For example, every once in a while, you'll hear a news story about some Nazi officer that was found in, the, in South America, right? And then he was you know, taken over to The Hague for trial. You'll, you'll hear about the final, you know, the conviction of this guy who's like, you know, 95, you know, at this point. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is due to the fact that, you know, even though these, these crimes were committed over 70 years ago, uh, that... We don't have a statute of limitations on murder because the taking of human life always demands an account. Always. Yet we also admit that human justice is riddled with imperfections and flaws. Some criminals never get punished. There are many Nazi officers who did terrible, terrible things and other officers that did terrible things during that war from other countries as well that never got caught. Never got tried, never got punished. They went on and lived relatively normal lives. Others uh, don't get punished enough. Their sentence is too light. They get off easy. And then there's the complete opposite problem where the innocent get convicted of crimes they did not commit. Yet we make a grave mistake if we equate human justice with God's justice. If we look at human's justice and assume that God's justice is something like that. Because we live in a world where the righteous may suffer and the wicked may prosper. And we could point to hundreds of situations today where evil seems to reign in the land. I mean, you can always just point to North Korea, right? Just if you want a quick example, you just point right over there. 
And many will argue that this is sufficient reason to doubt not merely the justice of God, but the very existence of God, the fact that injustice exists in the world. But tonight, the psalmist comes to us to remind us that God's justice is different than our weak and frail sense of human justice. In fact, the justice of God will come at the right time, it will come in the right way, and it will achieve the right ends. And we'll look at each of those tonight. So first, the psalmist tells us how God's justice will come at the right time in verses 1 through 5, not 15, verses 1 through 5. And, but, what, but the part of our problem is that the justice comes at the right time. Well, as we find out, the right time is actually God's time. It's God's timing. God speaks here, takes over in verse 2 of the psalm, and he declares that at a set time he appoints, he will judge the earth with equity, with fairness. The scriptures in the Old Testament are riddled with passages proclaiming the coming day of the Lord where God will make all the crooked paths straight, where everything will be laid bare, and where every evil deed will be accounted for and duly punished. Is a day to come when God's people will be delivered and all his covenant promises will be fulfilled. Yet it is a day that is known only to God. Even as Jesus revealed in his ministry in the Gospels, it is a day known only unto the Father. Now, the issue we often have with this is that the timing of the thing uh, is really only as important as the thing itself is important to us. Right? So if there's something unimportant in my life and, you know, find out, oh, well, you know, the advertisement from the car dealership has been delayed a day, I'm not really worried about that, right? That's not something I care about. But if I have a critical thing that I need for an event or a meeting or, you know, a critical thing I'm waiting for in the mail and, uh, and it doesn't arrive, well, then that's a, that's a problem. And if we or someone we love has been the victim of injustice, we may struggle with the sense of God's timing. Yet we know that one reason God delays his justice, at least from a human perspective, is so that the righteous may be brought into the kingdom through the gospel. Jesus says that God will allow the the wheat and the tares to grow up together, and then one day the great harvest of judgment will occur, and the tares will be separated out and thrown into the fire. We must always remember two things when it comes to God's timing for his justice. First, that he will not forget or fail to do justice. And second, his delay as we perceive it is also the delay that enabled us to receive mercy from him. Since God appoints a set time, this also means that God upholds all things until that time of judgment. Here we have a great assurance of God's purpose here. The psalmist writes in verses 3 and through 5, especially in verse 3, how the earth, you know, it seems to be tottering with all its inhabitants doing all the bad things that they do. And, and, and it, but it is God who keeps the pillars of the earth steady. It is God who restrains the evil of this world, who ensures that the world will hold together by his sovereign will. 
And so it is a comfort to us that not only is God always reigning on the throne, but that he is moving us inexorably closer to the moment of his great judgment, wherein he will dispense the fullness of his wrath upon all wickedness and evil. And so there's a comfort there that if God has set a time, then he will uphold the earth and creation itself and even us, his people, until that time. But there's also a warning here. The warning is not implied, although it could have been. The Lord is very explicit. He warns the boastful in verses 4 and 5 not to boast, and the wicked not to exalt themselves with their haughty necks. Right? Don't you hate it when people boast with their haughty necks? Right? Their self-promotion is essentially sticking their neck out for the blade of judgment to fall upon. Because if the hard-hearted take comfort that lightning bolts don't immediately rain down upon them when they they sin, then they're simply deceiving themselves. As Paul says in Romans, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, not hard-heartedness or to continue to, to sin. And some may be guilty of what is written in Psalm 50, that in perceiving some delay... The wicked assume that God is like them, approves of them, or doesn't care about the world. Today, many just simply assume that God doesn't exist. But he says there in Psalm 50 that unless they repent, he will tear them apart like a lion. Such is his wrath, and such should be the terror upon the conscience of the sinner. That if God seems to delay his judgment, we would not delay in seeking his mercy while it may be had. How often does the Bible say such a theme? Seek forgiveness while you can. Seek his mercy while it is available. Don't wait until you stand before the judgment seat. Because then it will be too late. Before we move on, let's consider what this psalm is, is, what kind of psalm we're dealing with. And go back to verse 1, which is very simple to identify that when verse 1, you, when, whenever you run into a psalm and it begins with the word thanks, well, guess what kind of psalm you have? A psalm of thanks, the psalm of thanksgiving. And it, it's, it's a song that, that knows that while everything seems to be going crazy and injustice seems to reign in the world, God's wondrous deeds are on the lips of his people, and his name is near. Now that phrase, your name is near us, is to say that it's talking about the nearness of the presence of God. It means that even in the worst times of injustice in our world, we know that God upholds the boundaries of creation, that the time of his judgment will come. And this means that in an unstable time, God is the ground for the stability under our feet. He is the hand that holds us steady. God's justice will come in his time, but it will come. And secondly, God's justice will come in the right way. It'll come at the right time, and it will come in the right way. We see this in verses 6 through 8. And here we are directed to, if you're looking for justice, ultimately, you need to look to God for justice. 
God says, don't look for justice to come from the east or the west or from the wilderness desert. Don't look for justice in all the wrong places, is what the psalmist is saying. It's what the Lord is actually saying here. Now, a few clarifications here. We want to be careful. Is that first, the reality of God's justice and his ultimate justice doesn't mean that we should never seek justice through, like, the human courts. doesn't mean that we don't do that. It doesn't mean that we don't press charges if we're the victim of a crime. Okay? God is, you know, in similarly, God has provided us with medical knowledge and ability to care for our bodies as part of his sovereign will. Yet we look forward to the day when we won't need hospitals, right? We look forward to the day when we won't need doctors, okay? We, we look forward to the day when we won't need these things, because we won't grow sick, we won't grow older or weaker, our bodies won't fail us. And so while we look to God as the great physician who will one day resurrect us in glory, and, the, and, and also the God who can miraculously heal us, we also trust in the normal means that he provides while we live on the earth. And this applies to justice, to human justice as well. The scriptures do say that we ought not to drag other Christians into the court for petty lawsuits, but when crimes have been committed, when victims have been wronged, when evil has been done, justice should be pursued through the legal system. But what we ought not to do is to put our hope in it. For the justice found in our human justice system is going to be riddled with weakness and error and sin. Also, we ought not to put our hope in, in, for justice in, uh, in, a, in a king or a president or a political leader. You know, if we just get this guy in office, then we'll have what we need, right? And we certainly ought not to put our hope for justice in ourselves and seek vengeance against those who have wronged us. Like medicine, we make use of justice, but we do not put our true hope in it. But let us never forget that it is God who executes justice. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, the Lord says. And he says this justice, he defines it as lowering one down and exalting another. That's an interesting, very Hebrew picture way to describe something, isn't it? To declare clearly the evil that has been committed against a certain person, and to thus lower the offender through conviction and punishment, and to lift up the victim of the crime, to vindicate them, and to, and to, and to, and to put to words and affect their, their loss and their pain. That is justice. And God is behind it. Seeking justice from God then requires humility as we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, trusting that in due time he will lift us up. I mean, it's, it's, if you've ever known someone who's had to go through the legal system, I, I mean, I've never known of anyone who was just like, oh, it was such a great experience, five stars. Right? Like, not one. Even if they won the case. Or the person that committed the crime got convicted. What they'll say is, it was awful. Right? It was awful. It drained my life. It was just, it was expensive. It was, uh, you know, it was just like, it, it was, it's not fun. 
If you put your hope in that, well, where's that going to leave you? God says, put your hope in him and his justice. And since it is God who brings us justice, we know that his wrath will be complete. And we see this in verse 8. The psalmist very vividly describes the wrath of God in terms of a cup that is in Yahweh's hand. And in this cup is this foaming mixed wine that he pours out into the mouths of the wicked. And so every wicked person, he says, all the wicked of the earth, every wicked person will receive their due punishment for the evil they have done. That there is a cup with their name on it, filled with wrath that is according to their own evil, and no one, not one, will escape the wrath of God. Now there's a comfort to that as well. Especially if you have, have been the victim of injustice or you know a victim of injustice and to, where people got away with stuff, where nobody was held to account. And, and, but the, and knowing that even if someone can escape human justice or they get off too light, too easy, that they will not outrun the Lord. They cannot escape his hand. Further, the psalmist writes that the wicked shall drink from the cup of wrath completely. They shall drain it down to the dregs. I had to look up what the dregs were. You ever thought about that? What are the dregs? All right. And so um, if you've ever, if you ever drinking, uh, drinking wine or just even coffee, it's like, it's like the residue at the bottom of the cup. Right, that's the dregs. You can talk about the dregs of society. You know, it's very—it's an insult. <laughs> so, uh, but that's what it is. It's the, it's the bottom of the barrel, right? It's not the good stuff. It's the the worst leftover stuff. But he says, even the dregs of the wrath, the very bottom little bit of it, they have to drink it all. Not one drop will be left. The wrath of God will be complete. That means there is no sin, big or small, no crime that will go unpunished ultimately, in the justice of God. But it also means that God does not over-punish for sin, nor does he under-punish. He gives everyone exactly what they deserve. The picture of wrath as a cup of wine is, is actually very com- common in the Bible, if you look it up. Uh, Isaiah fifty-one seventeen refers to the siege of Jerusalem and its utter destruction by the Babylonians as God forcing the Jews in Jerusalem, to drink the cup of wrath. Psalm 11, verse 6, prescribes fire and sulfur and a scorching wind as the portion of the cup of the wicked. Jeremiah 25, verses 15 to 17, speaks of the cup of divine wrath that God forces the nations to drink that makes them stagger and be crazed at the sword he is sending in their midst. And while we may be tempted to think that this cup represents, because of these images, some will argue, well, this is just a temporal, momentary uh, uh, wrath from God. That is like getting attacked by another nation or a personal loss. That, that's, what, that's all this means. Uh, but it actually does take an ultimate sense. It's a picture of the ultimate judgment that is to come. And this is exactly how Revelation views this image. It uses it in Revelation 14. Uh, verses 10 and 11, where John, where John shares his vision of those who worship the beast who will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, 
and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast in its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. And again, it's used in Revelation sixteen nineteen to describe the fall of Babylon as God making her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And the cup of wrath here is God's ultimate judgment that is total in scope and degree. Injustice may reign for the moment upon the earth today, but not forever. God is the one who judges, and no, no wicked person will escape his burning wrath. I know it's a cheery sermon tonight, very happy. So, um, But uh, what, this is one of the beauties of, of going through books of the Bible, though, of texts, is that, uh, is that you, you go through texts of the Bible that you may not have picked you know, that you're like, if I was going to pick all these ones, I'm not sure if I would pick, you know, the justice of God one, you know. But God introduces us, and he calls us to wrestle with his word. And so we're, it is good to be in here tonight. So, uh, and so God's justice, we learn, is, and, and, and by the way, also, it is a very Western and modern. I mentioned this before. I just remind you, like, it's a very modern audience that gets offended by the justice of God. If you go to developing nations and talk to them about the justice of God, they're like, oh, yeah, we get that. What, a lot of times what they'll have a hard time understanding is grace. <laughs> so, um, whereas over here in the West, we're like, yes, grace all day long. Let's not have any of this justice business. Like, uh, unless it's not uh, justice for thee, but not for me, kind of, uh, kind of thing in the West. And so, that is a very cultural, big cultural difference. But God's justice, we learned tonight, is that uh, God's justice will come at the right time. It will come in the right way. And finally, ju- God's justice will achieve the right ends. And that is God's justice in verses 9 and 10 will result in his praise in our deliverance. The psalmist says that he will declare forever the praises of the God of Jacob. And so here is the God of the covenant who, who has not fallen behind or failed to do justice. He, didn't, he wasn't like, well, I got behind on my maintenance tickets and I just, I just haven't caught up, but I'll, I'll get there, right? Here is, here is the judge of all the earth. He will do what is right. His justice will ring true throughout eternity that er, that, and, and such that everything he has done and everyone he has judged, his judgment has been done in truth and equity. That word equity means fairness and impartiality. The judgment of the wicked brings freedom and joy to the people of God. The horns of the wicked, that is the symbols of their power and strength, are destroyed and brought low by God. And the righteous are restored and made whole. And so the end of God's justice is is actually perfect and restorative. It purges evil from the world. It rectifies wrongs that have been committed. It, it, It gives to each what is due and vindicates those who have been wronged. In doing so, he restores the oppressed and the downtrodden the weak and the helpless 
who have been taken advantage of and abused and slaughtered. So what about us? Where do we fit in here? We definitely don't want to be the wicked, right? (laughs) Well, first, we learn here that we need to learn to take comfort in the justice of God. To, to hear from the psalmist here, to learn to sing. Remember, remember the psalms. It just always, it always strikes me when I preach on the psalms that this is a song that the people of God sang. Right? This is a song fit for worship, more so than any of our hymns that we like to sing. None of those are inspired. Here's an inspired song from the Lord about the justice of God. We need to learn to rejoice and sing for the justice of God to fuel our worship of him to exalt his name and to bring assurance and and comfort to us that he will give us justice in the sense that uh, that he will do right by what has been done to us. His true justice will come in the final judgment and make right what is wrong in the world. But at the same time, let us all also give thanks to God who does not make us drink our cup of wrath that we deserve. The perfection of the justice of God applies to the wrath he poured out on his son at the cross as well. The cup of God's wrath must be drunk down to the dregs by somebody. And the son of God drank your cup. He drank my cup. He drank it down to the dregs. Apart from the covenant of God's grace and the good news of the gospel, this psalm would be a terror to us, wouldn't it? We just did our member vows this morning with, uh, one, with Kevin. What's the first member vow? Do, I, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God and justly deserving his displeasure and his eternal wrath save his sovereign mercy? That unless God is merciful, do we deserve to drink the cup of wrath? But Christ has received the pure, complete, and total justice of God for our sins. And by the mercy of God... We are declared righteous in his sight. And, and, we, and we should pause for a moment and, and think about the, what is in that cup. And that is the wrath that is due to us for our sins. That's quite a phrase. It's quite a statement. But... That means there's, there, there's, like, I know what's in my cup. I know what my sins are. And that's also what Christ died for. To remember that. To know that. To think about the, the fact that Christ died not for just the sins that we're comfortable about sharing with other people. But he died for the sins that we don't want anybody to know about that we're ashamed of, that, that, that we, just, we, we, would, we barely dare speak them to ourselves. He died for those. 
it's important to remember that. So we remember that we can feel grief over those sins, and that's okay. But to know that he has drank our cup of wrath down to the dregs. There's nothing left in our cup. It's all gone. There's no more wrath of God to pour out upon the believer in Christ. There's no lightning bolts to throw at you. They've all come to Jesus. He is drinking our cup. And so let us respond to God with gratitude for his mercy, even as we look forward to and pray for his justice to come and to make what is crooked in the world straight. Yet even as believers, those who have been saved from the just wrath of God, let also his justice move us to a holy fear and a desire for holiness and obedience that proceeds from faith. Justice delayed is justice denied. That may be a phrase that we can apply to our justice in our courts, but it is not a term that can be rightly applied to God. His justice is not delayed. His justice will not be denied. Rather, his justice comes for every sin and every sinner. His justice comes at the right time and achieves the greatest of outcomes, his glory and the goodness of his and the good of his people. And so let us tonight give thanks and praise for, for God's mercy and his justice, which is our life and our restoration. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is right to tremble when we consider your wrath, when we consider your justice. It is right to tremble before the holy God, the judge of all the earth. We thank you that you steady our trembling hands with your love, that you remind us that Christ has has drank our cup of wrath, that we are due. And that instead of wrath, we are you fill that cup with blessing, and our cup runneth over. And so, Father, we pray that we would rejoice in the truth of your justice and that your justice will come. May, that, may the knowledge that you will uphold the created order until that day strengthen us and assure us of your blessed sovereign power. And Father, we pray that, we, that your justice would indeed come because there is great evil in the world. We pray that you would continue to restrain evil, that good would go forth, that the good news of the gospel of grace would go forth. But we also do, Lord, pray for that day to come when Christ returns and evil is purged from the earth and the universe and your glorious kingdom comes in. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you as often unjust creatures, as those who often have petty and vengeful thoughts. And Lord, we confess our sins before you and ask you for forgiveness. We pray that you would restore us. We pray that you would bring your goodness to bear upon this earth. And may you be glorified 
for your justice. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.